Hi, I'm Ben Field, and this is the Hillsong Film and TV Podcast. I think the most difficult part is convincing people to believe in you when you don't have any money. We're, we're trying to sign artists. I mean, we don't know anything about the music industry, and most of the artists we wanted to represent already had representation, and then they were being represented by somebody that had been doing it for 20 or 30 years. I really see a lot of benefit out of this next generation that's coming along. But when you have 9 million content creators on YouTube that are all primarily stuck using stock music or getting their videos taken down, I just see it and say there's no reason why you shouldn't be using great music. What I want to continue to push and fight towards and what I care about the most is creatives valuing each other's creative. That artists are being compensated for their work that filmmakers value the musicians that are putting in these hard hours to give them great music and then vice versa. So to me, it's really the long, long, long game is continuing to grow and develop all of these creatives and being a hub and a source for them for music and for footage and just being with them as it evolves. That was Dan McCarthy, founder and CEO of Musicbed and Film Supply, who are revolutionising the production music and stock film industry across the globe. Dan's passion to connect creatives and artists has seen him build one of the world's leading hubs for music and cinematic film footage, catering to everyone from YouTube enthusiasts and non-profits to creative agencies, filmmakers and studios. I sat down with Dan on the verge of them launching a brand new subscription service to talk about how it all began, the challenges he's faced along the way, and what will the future of the stock footage and production music industry look like in the coming years for both creatives and consumers. Well, Dan, first of all, thank you for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Give me an overview of the stock music, stock footage industry today. How far has it come in, say, maybe the last 15, 20 years? Oh, man, it's definitely progressed. I think 15 years ago, stock footage, stock music was all just very canned, like very, I don't know, I guess contrived in a way. So like stock footage and the stock video industry was very, you know, if you're looking for business footage, it was like businessman and businesswoman standing in a really well-lit lobby shaking hands, you know. On the music side, I don't know that it was as fake as much as it was just underproduced and there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of like great talent going into making really authentic music you know fast forward 15 years i mean the footage industry in general has come a long way i mean i was watching a documentary on cnn watching footage from like 2002 thinking like oh my god that was sd right i mean you know so even just just the quality in general of footage from lighting to you know I mean, now we're in 4K, you know, so the cinematic, I mean, Canon introduces the 5D Mark II, and I don't know when that was, maybe oh, 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there, right? I mean, so really just from an image perspective on the footage side, depth of field, color, tone, lighting, I mean, everything is just, it's, it's crazy where it's come in the last decade. On the music side, I think, you know, simultaneously to the video industry and the film industry, music was just becoming easier to produce quality you know you didn't it didn't cost $150,000 to make a record anymore and so I think with the accessibility of great technology and both of those fields it just really started I mean the the quality kind of skyrocketed yeah and so for us I think even though quality on both sides was moving quickly what I don't think moved as quickly that I feel like we really kind of jumped in on was the emotion that I think even though the quality of footage was getting better and maybe the quality of production music was getting better 
it still lacked this layer of authenticity and emotion that I think really when Musicbed got into the game, you know, our whole thing was you have all these, you have all these filmmakers out there making great films that have all of this emotion in it. And then they're kind of stuck with music that doesn't carry the same emotion as the film. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was really our goal was to go out and find these authentic, amazing, undiscovered artists that could bring alongside that level of emotion on the music side that the film side already had. So tell me a little bit about yourself. At what point did you kind of get into thinking, you know, I want to start something? How did you start? And did you always want to be in this kind of industry? I think, well, I went to school for music business and then dropped out. So I, I didn't know if I would ever be in it. I think the music business for a lot of people is like this industry that seems really fun and exciting, but how do you really get into it? It seems like it's all kind of interconnected and you have to have a relationship or something, you know. So I, got, I went to school for it, then I left. I became a graphic designer um, and I worked at an advertising agency and became creative director. And I was doing a bunch of video projects for clients, branding, web development, video stuff. And then we ended up starting our own. And so really I, the world I knew more than anything was advertising. But as video is becoming the most popular form of advertising, I mean, it was kind of all, this was all evolving, you know, and the social media comes out and everybody. So video is becoming more requested. We're doing a lot more projects. We're getting a lot more briefs for, for films and video works and, ad, and video projects and ads. Um, the constant pain point for us was always the music because it felt like I could control every other aspect. Hmm. You, can, you, can get the, you can get great talent. Um, you can get a great DP and a great director and a great producer. You can get a great concept. But then it was like, God, the music is always a kind of a thorn in your side because you either want something really great that you can't afford or you can't figure out how to get the rights to, or it felt like we were stuck. And I'm talking, and I guess even now as I'm saying that, some people could be like, it's not that difficult, but I'm talking seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was like, what do I do? You know, I'm either using production music or I don't know where to, I don't know the process of yeah. this. And so we really just, I guess we kind of fell into it. It was like, this is a need. I had some relationships in the music industry. I felt like we could do it better than the options that were available. Um, and I kind of just had this vision of there's thousands and thousands of amazing musicians out there that are not being heard. They're not making money doing what they love. And I think we can figure out a way to introduce them to filmmakers and actually make all this music usable and these projects. And so we launched in 2012 with about 35 artists. And then uh, fast forward to today, we, we represent about 850 different labels and publishers all around the world. And um, yeah, it's just been, cra I mean, it's been crazy to kind of yeah. see it go, but I don't, I didn't really ever think like, I didn't go to college thinking I was gonna do sync licensing for a living. It just kind of happened. What was the difficult, most difficult part coming into a business like this, starting it up? I think the most difficult part is convincing people to believe in you when you don't have any money. I mean, we're, we're trying to sign artists. I mean, we don't know anything about the music industry and most of the artists we wanted to represent already had representation and then they were being represented by somebody that had been doing it for 20 or 30 years. So, you know, you're out there kind of hitting the streets, pitching this thing. Like, and at the time it's like, we think that you should be making $50 for a wedding video and $80 for this nonprofit that wants to put a song in it and $199 if someone wants to use it in a business promo. And, 
and honestly being kind of laughed out of a lot of conversations because at the time, which that's what we would consider micro licensing now, which is like, you know, all these little small projects. Yeah. And at the time, that stuff wasn't even, it wasn't really even thought of. I mean, because most publishing companies and licensing agencies had a small staff. So to deal with like small, little, tiny projects was just a, a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And so we were, we were also pitching this idea that like there could be this Spotify, well at the time, kind of this iTunes of music licensing. Like people know what they want, they come here, they pick exactly what they need it for, they check out online, it's super simple. And I think at the time everyone was like, it does, that's not how music licensing works. Mm. We want to approve everything. We want to know where it's going, who's using it, how long it's going to be used. Um, and we were saying, eh, it's a wedding video. You know, it's a nonprofit. It's, right. a, it's, a, it's a small business promo. Like, what do you care? You yeah. know, I mean, it, it, so I think we were fighting a lot of, uh, we were fighting a lot of industry standards, yeah. you know, and, and just, so I think that the most difficult thing I think was just breaking through and getting individuals but also an entire industry to trust you that you're not going to tank mm. the music licensing industry that they know yeah my problem is the market should be scaled yeah if adidas is using it and they're going to have 35 million views that to me is different than somebody using it online that's going to get 1500 views or a business that has 5,000 likes on facebook totally different mm. so to me the price of the song should be scaled with the distribution size, the influence of the person using the song, how the song is being used in it. Um, so I, you know, I just saw it a little differently. I felt like, you know, to me, every song has a bit of a price tag on it. You know, publisher, maybe this record or this song, and they see that song and they say that's worth three hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. My perspective on it was, why does it matter how we get you there? In the past, you've seen it as three or four or five really big sinks. Well, what if it's three or four big sinks plus a thousand of small sinks? Right. And I think it's, you know, I think with YouTube and everything else that's happening in social media and some of the stuff that we're about to conquer, to me, the more the better. The more sinks you can get, the more distributed you can get it amongst, mm -hmm. um, you know, amongst the industry. I think it, ju it just only helps increase the you know increase the leverage of the song increase the popularity increase the distribution so i think it's i mean i, I don't think you can go wrong with it mm -hmm. and we've proven now so then i think the argument was yeah you're going to drop the bottom out of the industry we're not going to be able to get you know if you start charging these these prices like we're not going to be able to get big prices anymore mm -hmm. and i and over five or six years we've proved it just isn't the case right i mean We'll, we, we sync music for just as much as we used to, but we also have made it accessible to a bunch of other filmmakers that weren't able to use it before. Yeah. So do you think that accessibility had given a much more, I guess, broader scope for that music to be noticed by other people that maybe would have come along and, and synced it for the higher rates? I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to go back and say, I think it's been, I think it's been huge. I mean, our artists would say it's been huge. I just found out last week there's a, one of our artists got placed on a video that went viral in the Philippines. I mean, millions and millions of views. And then they, they've called him, they had him over, he's been on a tour in the country. I mean, previous to Musicbed, how does that even happen? Yeah. I mean, he's not going to get randomly placed on this video and then it's going to go viral. Yeah. And then the entire country, I mean, he shows up and it's like, you know, this star from America. And 
I mean, we've seen it even affect the amount of people going to concerts and showing up for, you know, it's like, I mean, we've had artists that, that will say, I finished my concert and I'm signing, you know, I'm signing records or I'm signing t-shirts and someone's like, oh my gosh, I've used your music, on, you know, from Music Bed, like I love you, you know. So I think it really did change the game in the sense that pre-Music Bed, you're, you're talking about the people that influenced the music being placed on video being in the hundreds. Mm. I mean, it's all these music supervisors and stuff at agencies or for TV and film. I mean, really, most of the things being synced is being controlled by a reasonably small group of people. Post music bed, I mean, we have 50,000 customers. Hmm. Everywhere from advertising agencies to indie filmmakers to wedding filmmakers to small businesses to, you know, nonprofits, churches. Like, so to me, to me, there's only good that can come from that. You have all these people getting to make all these decisions. And I don't, I, I mean, I think it's great for both sides. I was previously in my life a filmmaker and as a filmmaker, you know, I, I think there's just, there's nothing like being able to find the right song that fits your piece. As a musician, you know, to me, knowing that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of filmmakers out there that need music and you can write music for them. And it just, it created an income stream that didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, we've had artists that went from being, I'm a substitute teacher and a barista, and I work part-time at Walmart, to right. now I'm a full-time musician. Right. Which to me is like, I don't know, that to me is what, that's why we keep doing it. It's what makes it fun. Yeah. So you started off with Music Bed. When did Film Supply come along? Was that a part of the original idea? I think Film Supply was not a part of the original idea, but very shortly after we created Music Bed, I, what, we, what we began to see was this beautiful relationship between filmmaker and musician. They both create something that needs the other person. A musician is creating this music that needs a place to live, that needs a place to go, that needs an income stream. Otherwise, they're just creating good music in their basement. Simultaneously, filmmakers are making these beautiful stories, and most of those stories need music. And they need music that is like emotional and grabs you and s says something and helps, helps actually amplify the message. And so we were watching this happen, and it was two creative communities kind of getting amped up and being excited that they had new access to each other. So really, right after we started Music Bed, the idea, I think, was... Well, we're doing this for musicians, for filmmakers, but filmmakers kind of have the same thing, which is they're all sitting on hard drives worth of footage that either didn't get, didn't make the cut, or it was a personal project or something. Hmm. Um, and what's I think what's also is very similar between the two is you know the idea that a musician would write for stock music or write just to be placed on an ad. I think there's something inside of them that kind of dies when they think about that. Because as an artist, they want to create what they are passionate about. And our whole philosophy is you create what you're passionate about, we'll find someone that loves. If you love it, say we'll connect with somebody else, right? We don't want you to write for a specific thing. We want you to write what's in your heart, and we'll find a way for it to work. And simultaneously, you had this whole filmmaking community that really, like day to day, a lot of them don't love their everyday life. You know, they're, they're just shooting videos for clients to make money to pay their mortgage, um, but they all have these like deeper dreams. I want to be shooting this passion project or I have this film, I have this story that I want to tell. I came, you know, I met this lady in Nashville and I met this woman in Africa, I met, or whatever, I met this whole group of people in Alaska and, and you know, there's like, it's a powerful story and I want to tell it. And what we really saw was 
most of the filmmakers we came in contact with were stuck in the grind, but they didn't have the extra income they needed to begin to do some of the things that they were in love with. And so I think the idea from Film Supply came from what we saw it doing in the, you know, we saw it doing this in the, in the musician community with all of our artists. We saw it like actually providing income and actually creating space and creating margin for them to quit some other jobs and do what they want and provide for their families. And I think the idea really was this, it, it should happen for filmmakers too. Mm. So the idea probably came sooner than it actually launching. As with most great things in life, you have to find a leader. So it took us a while to find the right person. When Cody came along, I just knew he was the perfect film supply director. So when we launched it, we launched it with about 200 filmmakers, some of the best, in my opinion, some of the best DPs and directors. And it's just been growing. Um, and the big market for film supply is ad agencies, TV, film. Um, we get footage in a lot of trailers. It's actually kind of crazy to see how some of it gets used and transformed into their own, yeah. in their own way. But I think... You know, in general, it's, it's, the market right now is so, it's moving quickly. The advertising market like specifically is moving. I would say probably the same in church and everything else. It's like the amount of money that we have to create content hasn't totally changed, but the amount of content we want created and need created has quadrupled. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're seeing across the board. Like we need more videos, we need more social posts, we need more 15 second cut downs, we need more 60 second ads. Um, but the budget hasn't gone up that much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're seeing. Like even yeah. in advertising agencies, it's all the same. So we need to start having innovative ways to create content. And so, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, you would have spent that $50,000 to get in the helicopter and go shoot that footage. And maybe now it just, you can't, you need to go license that clip for 1500 bucks mm -hmm. or whatever. So I think, you know, it's really been a good moment in time to launch film supply and, and both of the brands are growing rapidly. But at the core, for us, and you mentioned stock, stock music, stock footage, at the core for us, I think we believe great, great artists deserve to be compensated for their art. And at the core, we just want to make sure that we're funding them and enabling them and empowering them to do what's in them. Because I think on the film, filmmaking side as well as the music side, if they're creating out of their heart, out of their passion, whether it be shooting their passion project in Antarctica or making the song that they've been dreaming up, it doesn't really matter. If they create out of their passion, we'll find a place for that to be used. And I think across the board, nonprofit, advertising, film, everything is running towards authenticity. Yeah. Like, how do we make it more authentic? How do we make it more real? How do we give it more emotion, like connection? Mm. How do we create it? I mean, the whole advertising community right now is talking about like memories, like creating a memory. And they just, that comes from real. And so I think that's really like at the core, that's what we're really striving towards is representing the best musicians, the best filmmakers that are authentically shooting. It's not contrived. It's not made up. It's not fake. It's really, it really comes deep from deep within. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if both of them keep doing that, then we'll keep having jobs. Yeah. Because everyone wants to buy it. Everyone yeah. wants to be a part of it. On both sides, what is the most requested kind of genre of music or the style of footage for those that are listening kind of now and thinking, what should I be shooting or what should I be creating? Is it sitting heavily in one kind of area or do you think it's quite balanced across all styles? I could probably speak to music more than I can footage. Um, footage, 
you know, aerials and I mean, there's all, it's like the stuff that's tough to get. Yeah. I think is always very compact, you know, is needed. I think, you know, film supply really sits into this kind of emotive footage. So we, we would tend to be less practical, mm-hmm. you know, if, if our advertising agency is looking to kind of display this idea of power, we're not going to give you a windmill, you know, like <laughs> we're going to give you something that is powerful, whether it be waves crashing mm-hmm. Or a king sitting on his throne. I mean, you know, it's like, like it, we're going to probably be a little bit more emotive yeah. um, and artistic with it. And I think we lean that way. On, on, the, on the music side, it really depends on what medium. Because I think there's things that are like really hot. So like right now, you know, kind of grunge pop rock is really popular in ads. It wasn't three years ago. It won't be in a year. You know, cinematic stuff was super popular two or three years ago. Yeah. So it kind of depends on the medium. From a, you know, on the on the church nonprofit side, our cinematic stuff does really really well. It's very emotional. It really gets you tied into a story. So I think it really depends. You know, advertising is probably where the genres. Well, TV is probably where the genres kind of just run the gamut because it's just, you know, maybe it's a TV show in the '80s or it's a, you know, it kind of it depends. I think TV and film really everything works because it just totally depends on you know it could be a movie scene where a guy's walking into a bar in the 60s and it's in south texas so they need like they need texas country you know what i'm saying yeah uh you know but from an advertising perspective advertising does kind of take they're they're they kind of take moves it was like three years ago everything was like stomps and claps now there's kind of this like welshley arms on our site has kind of this sound that's very, very popular right now, which is this kind of just big, powerful anthem vocal with this kind of pop rock. So, it, I, you know, it goes and it does, it does definitely take trends. We were getting a lot of requests for vintage, like, like you know, 60s vintage music um, and advertising with kind of like a, that they wanted like vintage looks and feels. So I think, I don't know, it all seems to work in different ways. And then how do you stay on top of, you know, if you are a creator, what is in and, and what isn't? Is it something that you just have to listen and watch and see and take notice? Or is there ways to kind of know what's, um, what's kind of rating? My hope is like, I think, I, well, my hope is that it happens on accident. Because that's when it's authentic, right? Like to me, if you're a musician, you're a student of music. You yeah. know, you're always listening. You know what really connects with you. And then your music begins to kind of morph. Yeah. And that's just what music does. I mean, you listen to the radio and it, it just... There's a difference between hearing something and copying it and being influenced by it. You know what I'm saying? When you're influenced by it, you make your own iteration. When you're copying it, you make some sort of dumbed-down version of what you were copying. Yeah. And so I think culture kind of moves that way. And so music moves that way. I mean, if you listen to... And it's, it's kind of funny, too, because it's like what what's like really popular in indie music and kind of an indie music scene, like 12 months from then it will start to surface. And it's iterations, it's almost like fashion moving from the West Coast to the East Coast, you know? Like it gets somewhere in the middle, it gets kind of tame. Right. And it gets refined a little bit. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like, it's like that. I think, I think there's versions, like there's like crazy little underground hip hop scenes and there's like, unlit, and, and those, you know, those things kind of in their rawest form maybe wouldn't hit or be as popular as they become, but they begin to get refined and they begin to influence people and influence other musicians. And then, 
you know, like we get, what we end up getting is this top 40, which is a bit of a variation of maybe some of these kind of underground movements. I, I don't, music just moves that way, you know, yeah. and then it moves through advertising. And at the end of the day, what advertisers want to do is, well, what they want to do is sell something, but what they really want to do is create momentum for their brands, create memories, create experiences for people. And so I, it's always like, what's the next big thing? Yeah. You know, what's the next artist that's going to break? What's the next sound that's going to be? And I think it comes down to people being authentic. Like EDM was born out of, you know, kids being authentic and liking the sound. Like I, I just think it all comes from, from like being inspired and creating what you want to hear for yourself. Yeah. Where do you think it is heading on the business side of, of this? You know, where are we in from your thoughts and your experience in say two to five years from now? God, I don't know where we are in five. I hope I know where we are in two. I think the music industry moves very fast. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I'm like, when I graduated high school, Apple was the dominant player in music and they were taking over all the CDs, you know, and it was like, oh my God, you know, everyone was pissed at them at some level. It's yeah. like, wow, they used to buy CDs. Now they're just buying 99 cent songs. You're screwing everybody. And then, you know, right about all this time is happening and then Napster and everyone's getting music for free and all this is happening. And then a couple of years later and then Pandora kind of comes out and then Spotify and everyone's like, this is crazy. And then Spotify starts signing major labels, which is even crazier. And now, and now I can listen to music for free and all I have to do is listen to ads. Right? But, you know, so music industry just, and that's all happened like in the last decade. Yeah. Right? So it's, it moves very fast. And I think where we are as far as sync licensing goes, and I think there's like, what is the threat versus where's the opportunity? I think the threat is that music is becoming more commoditized potentially than it's ever been. Because with accessibility comes the commoditization, right? So I can get anything I want on Amazon. Well, now online shopping is extremely commoditized. Like just, it is what it is, right? It's the same thing with music. There's more options, there's more platforms. There's more people making great music. So it's becoming a little more commoditized. Like I don't, you know, which I think and in, in when it and when it becomes that way, it intrinsically becomes less valuable to certain people. The opportunity to me is there's nine million creators on YouTube. There's thousands and thousands of churches making content. Yeah. There's thousands of advertising agencies. There's tens of thousands of production companies and indie filmmakers. And I mean, there's just so many more people making videos and films today than ever before. Yeah. And I kind of always come back to it because you know, you'll have internal conversations and like, God, oh, did you see this happen? Did you see this happen? You... I always kind of come back to it. Great creatives will rise to the top and great creatives want great music. That's all there is to it. Now, what we have to do is make sure we transform our business model to meet the current needs. And I think from a business perspective, when we launched six years ago, we were single use licensing. You have a project? We'll give you a license. And I think if you're starting a business today and you're not considering subscription models, you're crazy. Yeah. Like if it at all could work into your business model, you better think about it. Because it's just where things are going. It's what people want. It's why, I mean, Amazon Prime exists to increase retention and build buy-in from, from a global audience, right? Yeah. So to me, we started doing surveys, you know, a couple years ago. What do you like? How do you want to buy? How, you know, and really the, the, the data was very clean and simple and easy to understand. 50% of people still need to buy music per project. 
And 50% of people need to pay a monthly or annual subscription and have unlimited usage. And we just realized there's a whole group of people out there that we're just not even catering to, that it's not even about money or it's not about the amount of money. It's about the way they need to work. You know, I just can't, I can't get approval seven times a month from my boss. I can't swap my credit. I just need to know that I can take care of this for our whole team. And I let them know like, hey, we have a music bed membership and get whatever you need whenever you need it. And we just did a lot of internal talking. And I mean, at the end of the day, our number one value is accessibility. Yeah. So it's like, you can't have that value and then stay inaccessible to 50% of the market. Yeah. Like then you, you either don't value it or you do, right? So I think we just started, started having internal conversations about you know, accessibility and building the community and continuing to lead in this way. And uh, it really just came down to, we have to do it and we have to figure out how. It's easy to say you're gonna do it, yeah. but we have 850 artists and 15, 1600 different writers and producers and record labels and all these people involved. Um, and they, every single one of them signed a contract for us to sell their music one off. Yeah. So for us to go and say, we're going to open a subscription model called music bed membership. It meant having another conversation with 1500 people. So it has been, you know, it's been crazy. Our NR team needs a, like a, two month vacation in Cancun. But we, we have had so many churches, nonprofits, small businesses, freelance filmmaker, um, reach out and say like, I, just, I can't, like I do so many projects, you know, I do a hundred projects a year. I can't spend $199 for every use. And so instead of creating something that worked for them, we just made them suffer and go somewhere else and pick music that they don't really want to use that was half the price or a quarter yeah. of the price. And so, you know, really what we're saying is we, we want to be your solution for music, for all of your projects. We don't want you to feel like you only can use this three or four times a year and you have to sacrifice quality for the rest of your projects. Yeah. Who do you think um, out of that 50% market is going to benefit the most? Oh, that's a great question. Who's going to benefit the most? Um, the people that are that 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 have a lot of that really do have good taste, but are just doing high quantities of work. I mean, everybody is going to benefit. Um, I think we care. Well, let me back up. We care a lot too about like the next generation of creative. And at some level, I think the ones that are going to really benefit. I mean, you got 19-year-old kids uploading their videos to YouTube, and they're getting flagged. And they're getting an email saying your content, you know, it's, you're using copyrighted material, whatever. Yeah. And they have no idea like, yeah. what this even means. Yeah. And so allowing this amazing roster of artists um, and opening it up to creatives, whether you're, I don't care if you're 12 years old or 15 or 19 or 22, and you're just getting into this and getting started. We want to teach you about copyrights. We want to teach you about sync licensing. We want to teach you about good music. We want to teach, you know, we want to see you grow. I, I really look at it and say, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's a lot of what Adobe did for me when I was 16. Right. When I had like student versions of Photoshop and I'm learning these programs that they're allowing me to learn at a fraction of the cost um, because yes, they want me as a customer when I grow up, but they also want me to grow as a creative, right? So I, I, really see, I really see a lot of benefit out of this coming to this next generation that's coming along. Mm. 
And I think it, you know, we'll see. But when you have 9 million content creators on YouTube that are all primarily stuck using stock music or getting their videos taken down, I just see it and say, there's no reason why you shouldn't be using great music. Yeah. To me, I'm like, to have access to great music for the price of two Starbucks or your Spotify monthly payment yeah, it's pretty good. is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. You know? And again, it's like fighting... I don't, mind, I don't mind fighting the commoditization game. I don't mind coming to the table and saying, okay, great, this is our market, this is where we're at. What I want to continue to push and fight towards and what I care about the most is creatives valuing each other's creatives. Yeah. That artists are being compensated for their work. That filmmakers value the musicians that are putting in these hard hours to give them great music and then vice versa. Yeah. So to me, it's really the long, long, long game um, is continuing to grow and develop all of these creatives and being a hub and a source for them for music and yeah. for footage and just being with them as it evolves. And I guess with this now added layer of accessibility for people to be able to kind of license this properly, because the dangers these days of not doing it properly, I mean, when you think about churches, nonprofits, people, they go, oh, we're not broadcasting and no one will ever know. Um, what do you think about that in the, in the day and age of, I guess, pirating music for, for that kind of use? What's it's, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we try to stay, I mean, we've never, you know, we started early, early on, because at the end of the day, we're issuing a sync license, which is permission to use something. Hmm. And we really, day one, said we're never going to use fear to market this thing. Because I care more about creativity and the artist than I, than I care about, like, you might get sued or it might get taken down or it might, you know, I never, I just... I never really wanted to go there in any of our marketing or communication because I don't believe I don't believe people do great things because they, they know the consequences of bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wanted to inspire. Simultaneously, though, I mean, everything is way more transparent. I mean, six, seven years ago, I mean, content ID didn't exist. You put whatever you want to on YouTube. No one's going to find out. Same thing with, I mean, now there's so much tracking. I mean, you can't even put an ad on, it, on TV without, it, without, you know, the copyright owners being notified. Yeah. So... There is a lot of transparency, and I do think it does force creatives to do what's right. And, you know, the consequences vary. You know, for a kid putting their video on YouTube, maybe it just gets taken down and your video doesn't exist on YouTube anymore, and maybe nothing else happens. If you're going to be a major brand, you're going to get taken down, and maybe you also get sued. Yeah. Um, and I think the consequences vary. From my perspective, we've gone a long time. We've had a lot of misuses, and we've been... We've been very blessed to be in the position where we've had a lot of misuses. We've had, we've had TV commercials go without licenses. We've had, we've had all kinds of things happen. And in six years, we've always dealt with them with a conversation. We've always gotten the artist paid. We've never had a situation where the client or someone said, you know, no way, I'm not paying. We've just never had, we've never had to go there, which I think is awesome. Hmm. And I just think in general, people do care about paying artists for their work and, and doing it properly. And so, yeah, I mean, there's consequences. We try to stay on the side of, you know, I, I, I try to stay from a music bedside. We are really ultimately always pushing discovery. Like, I, I, don't want you, I don't want you to just have a place to get music. I want you to know that the place that you're getting your music is on the, you know, we're ahead of the curve and on the cutting edge of what is great and what's about to break and who's about to be popular and who's about to be on the radio. And we want you to know that you're using music before the 
before the public really gets it. Yeah. Um, and the cool thing of doing it for six years is we've seen it happen. You know, we've seen our artists go big. We've seen our artists that have gone from, you know, touring little tiny clubs to being on national tours yeah. um, and selling out huge stadiums. And so we've, we've seen it happen. And so for us, even as music put, probably even continues to be more accessible and there's more options and all of that, that's fine. Because the reason why we exist is deliver you music that there's no way you could have found without us. Because we have an entire team of people scouring the internet and the world for the next big thing. That's awesome. Well, Dan, thanks for your time, man. I enjoyed yeah, this conversation. You. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's podcast. You can find everything Musicbed and Film Supply has to offer online at musicbed.com and filmsupply.com. And don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes and stay up to date with what our team are up to via social media at Hillsong Film TV. A quick shout out and thank you to my co-producer and mix master, Josiah New, and I look forward to being with you again next time on the Hillsong Film and TV podcast.